We're beginning a mini-series, Foundations um, for Worship. One of the things that we were uh, told in the prophetic evening that we had last year on Zoom was that we needed to repair foundations. Now, um, I, that is no criticism. Let me repeat again. That is no criticism of the foundations that were laid in the past. Never, it isn't at all. But churches move on. And they move on in experience and, and things like that. But they move on because people come and people go. This isn't the same church now that it was two or three, four years ago. Because there are different people. Some people have come, some people have gone. And, and that's the way it is. And therefore it is right and it is wise, I believe, to continually check your foundations. So that we all know where, where we are, what we're being built upon. So, one of those foundations is worship. And we're going to look briefly, this is going to be our starting point, I'm not going to stay there, but we're going to look at the story of Jesus, who, when he met the woman, the Samaritan woman, at the well, which is John chapter 4. Okay. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sukkot near to the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. A Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So, the woman said, You've nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? You greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. 
Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit. And His worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus talked to the woman about living water. He talked to her and exposed to the fact that she uh, was in an immoral relationship. And many people think that at that point, she diverted the subject. She started to talk about uh, where people should worship. Actually, that was a hot topic in those days. So when she perceived that Jesus was a prophet, which of course he was, much more than that, but he was, and is, when she perceived that, she then wanted to know his views on the hot topic of the day, which was, we worship on Mount Gerizim, that's the Samaritans, you say the proper place is to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus then declared, and, and we read it, he said, that's, that's not how it is. You see, the woman had said, where worship is important. Jesus said, it's not where we worship that's going to be important, but whom we worship. By the way, I struggled. Should that be who or whom? <laughs> I think the word whom is going out of, of fashion, but there you go. <laughs> It's, it's not where we worship, but whom we worship. And how we worship. True worshippers, said Jesus, worship in the spirit or in spirit and in truth. In fact, after I prepared this, I thought I should have put something else on the bottom of that. Not whom we worship, as well, as well as how we worship, not just that, but who worships. Because Jesus talked about true worshippers. Who are true worshippers? Ah. In context, 
And if you look at the whole context, if you go take John's account of Jesus and to where he's got to, in context, true worshippers are those who have been born again, born anew by the Spirit, as he said to Nicodemus. True worshippers are those who have been baptised. John mentions that people were being baptised by Jesus' disciples at the beginning of this chapter. And Jesus talks about worship in the Spirit. True worshippers are those who have been baptised in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. True worshippers are those who, in faith, have repented, believed in Jesus, been born again, baptised in water, filled with the Spirit. So, these are the foundations for worship. And we're going to look at the first one this morning, faith. Faith and worship. What is faith? That's a question, isn't it? We often talk, we often use these words, but what is faith? Well, first of all, it's more than belief. Now, be careful here. I know that Paul said to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Belief. But what I mean is something different to that. For instance, uh, Premier Christian News reported, I think this week, that 45% of the population of this country believe in the resurrection. Great. And that's good. But the resurrection hasn't impacted itself upon 45% of the population. You understand what I mean? You can believe, oh, well, I believe that the resurrection happened, but it doesn't make any difference. It's not just that sort of belief. It's more than that, faith. It's more than that. And it's more than intellectual assent. 45% may say, ah, yes, I, I, I can see that this, this, this and this, therefore the resurrection is true. I think it up here. But it's not commitment to Jesus. I remember once uh, sitting with a guy, week after week after week, and we went logically through what following Jesus was all about. And it was, it was an intellectual thing. But eventually, he, he, he said to me one evening, he said, Ah, but I've got to make a commitment, haven't I? And he did, praise God. <laughs> but he had to move from just thinking it here and saying, that's true, to committing himself to Jesus. As Hebrews says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure that Jesus lived and died for me. That Jesus took upon the cross my sin, my brokenness, my dis-ease. Faith is being sure 
that Jesus is alive and he's living and reigning. Faith is being sure that Jesus is my Lord, my Saviour. Faith is being sure that Jesus has filled me with the Spirit, that I've been born again, that I'm in the kingdom, that I'm part of the family of God. Faith is being sure of what I can't see, but I know what is true. Faith is being sure that my life is in his hands. Faith is being sure that Jesus is working out his purposes. Faith is being sure that death is not the end, but the gateway into eternal life in all its fullness. Faith is being sure that God will fulfil his worldwide purposes. I may not see them all, but faith is being sure, not only what I can't see now, but what I hope for in the future. That's faith. It's being sure. Ultimately, it's faith that God is God and He is in control. That takes a lot of uh, believing when you look at Ukraine. That takes a lot of believing when you look at other parts of the world. But that's faith. That's what's mocked by the world. But that's what God's people know. We know. I hope you know. Because ultimately faith is the gift of God. Faith is being sure that he loves me. And his love was so great, Jesus went to the cross. Took on the full forces of hell and defeated it. Doesn't that make you want to praise God? Do you know these things are so familiar? They don't move us like they ought to. I'm talking to myself. They don't, you know, I ought to be jumping for joy and saying, thank you, Lord, that you've done it for me. I know it's hard on a Monday morning. It's easy here on a Sunday. It's hard on a Monday morning. That's what faith is. So, how, does, how is faith then a foundation for worship? First, When we come together, let's come in faith. When we come together, let's come in faith. Hebrews again, the writer says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance, being certain, being sure, full assurance of faith. As we come together, as we come on a Sunday morning or wherever we're coming together but as we come together let's come in faith expecting that God will work. You know, when we first went to Whitford, South Essex in the church building, in the vestibule by the double doors where you went in there was a little notice it was quite prominent, so everybody who went into the main church building would see this notice. Now I can't, to be honest with you, I can't now quote it word for word. It's many years ago, and uh, the old brain hasn't held it like that. But it was, it was words to this effect. Three minutes before the service is due to start, a deacon 
will place a Bible, an open Bible, on the pulpit. That is a signal for everyone to be quiet and to pray about the service. Words to that effect. Now I tell you, there were some good things about that notice. First of all, it made the Word of God central. It said very clearly, this church believes that God speaks to us through his words. It also made the point that coming to worship God was, a, was a, an important good thing and that we should be prepared. So it was good in that way. But it did have its downside. By gum, if you arrived after three minutes before the service started, everybody knew you arrived. Because <laughs> it was embarrassing. And sometimes, dear me, the deacons forgot. <laughs> and you could see people looking around saying, where's the Bible? <laughs> now, there were, there were downsides. There were all sorts of downsides to that as well. And let me say that when the Holy Spirit began to move, I can't remember quite when I did it, I quietly took the notice down and nobody noticed. <laughs> But let's not forget the upside. Let's not forget the upside. You know, I think it's great that we have coffee before we meet. That's, that's not the way most churches do it. Most people, most churches, have it afterwards. But to have it first works for us. And I think that's great. And I, I would need convincing that we would need to change that. But... The danger is that we then get sloppy about beginning our time of gathering, worshipping together. That is a danger. You know, freedom of the Spirit, yes. But let's not get sloppy. Let's remember that we're coming to worship a holy God. Let's come expecting to encounter the living God as we worship together. That's what worship is about. Giving him the glory and praise and meeting with him. And we encounter him in the worship and hopefully we encounter him through the word. Downsides, yes, but remember the upside. So come in faith to participate in faith. Join in, in other words, in faith. Paul says to the Corinthians, when you come together, if everyone, each one, everyone has a revelation, a hymn, tongue and interpretation, I haven't got my Bible open, I can't quite see it exactly but everybody has something to contribute when you come together now in the small gathering, that's pretty easy isn't it, well, I say that's pretty easy, we can understand how that can happen 
in a larger gathering, and this isn't particularly large, but in a, in a larger gathering, then that becomes harder. And the larger the gathering becomes, the harder it is. But I believe the principle should stay there, that the Holy Spirit wants to bring contributions. He wants to bring a prophecy and a word of encouragement, a revelation of Scripture, a tongue, an interpretation through the body of people. So that there is that response to the Spirit. Oh, this, this is hard, you know. Have you ever sat there? Perhaps you have. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's done. Oh, I think God's given me a word. Oh dear. Is he giving me a word? I don't know. What will I do? Do I know? Do I, am I really sure he's giving me a word? Oh, oh dear, dear, dear. dear. It's all right for her. She, she seems to get up and do it okay. He never seems to worry either. But I, oh, I'm me. I'm nervous. Oh dear me. Has God given me a word? And the, and the opportunity's gone. What I'm saying is, come in faith. Come in faith. Whether it's singing, or praying, or bringing a contribution, personal one, come in faith. David Fellingham, who was one of the pioneers of, of the worship we now experience, David Fellingham, in his book on worship, has this um, story. He said, there was a time when he was on the mountains, a mountainside in Wales, and as he stood on the mountainside, he watched two buzzards, who were huge birds, rising, rising, rising. And he said, to begin with, they, they looked enormous. And as he, he stood on this mountains, mountainside, he saw these two birds rising up, rising up, and they got smaller and smaller until they became just two dots way, way up there. And he said, the thing was, with their enormous wings, they weren't doing anything. All they did was stretch out their wings. And hardly any flapping of the wings at all. Yet they went up and up and up. And what they were doing, of course, they were riding on the rising thermal air they were rising up on that. And so, they, they used that, those thermal currents to go up. And he says, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit moving amongst his people. We don't get there by self-effort, but riding on the wind, the breath, of the Spirit, being open to Him. Isn't that a wonderful picture? I don't have to sit there where you are, where I was a little while ago, and say, I've got to try hard, I've got to try hard, I've got to try hard. Now, I, I'm not saying that we sit back and let it all happen. <laughs> what, I, what I'm saying is this. We're saying, God... I'm ready. If you want to give me something, I'm ready to rise up on the current of your spirit. What a beautiful picture. Let's come and participate. Even if we're just singing together, let's participate. Believing that we're encountering 
and ministering to the living God. Three, we should receive in faith. Now, I believe that our first priority when we come together is not to receive, but to give. I'm absolutely convinced of it. There are times when I'm down or you feel, you know, things go overwhelming. Yes, I need to receive. Great. Yes, of course. But generally, we come together, first of all, to give. To give worship to God and to, in that context, minister to each other. But praise God, we can also receive. We can receive. Genesis 1-3, and God said. And God said, do you know, we worship, follow, praise, have a relationship with God who speaks. Trace it through the Bible. Genesis 1, and God said, let there be light, and there was. And then God speaks to Abraham. God speaks to the people of Israel through the prophets. God is a speaking God. He communicates with his people by words. And then, what does John say? In the beginning was the word. The word would, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that the writer to the Hebrews says that in God has spoken in many ways and in many places and times through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken through his son. God is a speaking God. And he's given us the scriptures. This is his word. And he has spoken to us in it. And he speaks to us through it. And he's blessed his people with the ongoing gift of prophecy. Where God speaks. Where God can bring revelation and insights and understanding to his people. We worship a God who speaks. And he wants to speak to you. Not just the person sitting next to you, but he wants to speak to you. So listen out for the God who speaks. The God who can do far more than we can ask and think. The God who wants to bless you and heal you and reassure you and do umpteen other things. We worship a speaking God. Be prepared when we come together by faith to listen to him, to hear from him and to be changed and renewed by him. What a wonderful thing we have. Isn't it amazing that that out in the world there are so many people who poo-poo this idea. And yet we know it's true because by faith we, we are sure of things unseen. And God fulfills his word. So 
So let's come together in faith. Let's come in faith. Let's participate in faith. Let's receive in faith. And finally, let's respond in faith. I could put go, go out in faith. But let's respond in faith. Do you know, we meet for two hours in a week on a Sunday. And that includes coffee. Now, if you take that as proportion of the week, it's a little less than 1.2%. If you knock out eight hours sleeping a day, it comes to about 1.8% of our week. So actually, we're not together for very long out of the whole week, are we? But what an important time this is. What a crucial important time this is where we can come, we can participate we can hear God and then we can do what he said. Jesus this is, Jesus said these words just after he'd washed his disciples and he talked to them about servanthood and he said now that you know these things you'll be blessed if you do them. Now that related to that specific episode, but there's a principle there. God says, now that you know what I've said, you'll be blessed if you do it. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. Now that you've heard me, you'll be blessed. James, the biblical James, not our James. (laughs) James, in the Bible, says, person who hears the word of God and then goes away and forgets. It's like a person who looks in the mirror and then incredibly, when they go away, forgets what they look like. You know... You can tell your children are growing up, can't you? When they spend more time in the mirror than they looking at the mirror than they used to. You can tell we're getting older when we don't look in the mirror as much as we <laughs> But we don't want to look into the Word of God and be like those who forget. Oh, we're all in danger of doing that. I am. I know, I know I am. So I'm sure you are. But we need to be a people who respond and say, thank you for that 1.8% of my life. Sunday morning. And now for the rest of the time, I'm going to live it out. Yeah. A life of worship and praise. Because worship isn't depending on this place. It's because of who he is and what he's done. I'd just love to worship again. I really would. Thank these guys. That was that was lovely this morning. Let's just worship as we come to the end of our time together.